0: The medical school headquarters podcast, session number 138. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Medical School Headquarters podcast, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you're struggling with MCAT prep, go to freemcatgift.com and download our 30-plus page report on tips and tricks on how to maximize your MCAT score. Again, free MCATgift.com. Today, I'm going to talk to Melissa. Melissa is a pre-med student who now has an acceptance to medical school. We're going to talk about her non-traditional journey, her bumps in the road, what set her back, what she struggled with, and we're going to definitely talk about all of the successes that she's had along the way and talk about as a non-traditional student, how she overcame that and how now as a future medical student, how she was able to gain that acceptance into medical school. Melissa, welcome to the Medical School Headquarters podcast. I want to start by asking you When was it that you first knew you wanted to be a doctor?
1: Oh, well, I think the very first time I got very serious about it was actually in high school. That's when I started to consider it as an actual path, not just I was pretty interested in all things health related. And when I was a kid, we had these encyclopedias, you know, because it was before Google, the Google
0: Web's. But it's <laughs> like, you mean Wikipedia, right? <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> and, you know, I, we had these books of pictures of just all kinds of skin conditions and I would like die. I would go around to my friends and like, Oh, let me see a rash. And I would like take this book and try to, <laughs> try
0: gross. I,
1: I know it's so gross, but I was so obsessed with it.
0: <laughs> why was, was that?
1: Just, like, <laughs> that was probably when I was like seven or eight.
0: No, um, why was that? Did, oh, did you uh, have family that were physicians or yeah, what exposure actually, did you have?
1: I didn't. I, I think both my parents are teachers. My dad was in the Navy for a while, but he did his second career as a secondary math instructor for junior colleges. And I feel like they really have endowed both my brother and I with very healthy curiosity, just really kind of like to poke around and learn about things and kind of just a pretty avid reader. But I just could not enough of looking at anybody's wounds or scabs or rashes or just like what's wrong and uh, (laughs) so that was something I when I was thinking about how to describe this journey, even in my personal statement, I, I definitely alluded to it because it was such a funny memory to have that I'd forgotten about. And then in high school, I shadowed our our Navy doctor for not quite a whole summer. It was kind of just very, you know, I think I went in for a couple hours a week. It wasn't anything too serious. But I decided to kind of choose my major in college based on that desire and entered college with this, you know, all systems go to get a 4.0 and I'm going to go straight in middle school school and this is what I'm doing. And then after probably within like the first three months of college, I was like, oh man, this is, (laughs) I don't know, you know, all those questions about what am I doing and where am I going and do I really want to do this?
0: So okay. I, but before we get into that, let's kind of break down those steps leading up to that point. Sure. So obviously, you had this huge fascination with medicine, with scabs and skin <laughs> stuff. <pop>. I, yeah. <laughs> weirdo, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> a, and you shadowed somebody in high school. How did you know that was something you needed to do or wanted to do?
1: And I, I think I even refer to it as shadowing, just based on what you know, is kind of a a recommended word. I don't know that we called it that then. I just got to go in and um, ask him a bunch of questions and just kind of, I didn't get to go into any patient's room, Mm. but he would kind of talk about different things that he did. And I think he was um, just like a a general practitioner.
0: I'm pretty sure. So he was more Uh, of a mentor for you?
1: Yeah, it was really very, I think it was more, what's the word? it was a little bit of a shallow experience. I think it was kind of more just to just to kind of get my feet wet and see if there was something that I would like to do. Yeah. And that's funny because I really didn't think about it. And I don't even think I alluded to the, any of that in my application. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. yeah it it's it's funny. The, the amount of stuff that we forget. And then we yes. have these conversations like I totally forgot about I, that.
1: I, I, Didn't even mention that in anywhere in my application or in my interviews. (laughs) All
0: right. So you went through high school, you're quote unquote shadowing a physician. When it came time to decide where you went to undergrad and what to major in, obviously being a physician was top of mind. How did you go about choosing where you went to school knowing that you wanted to be a doctor?
1: There is a couple of stories about that. I finally decided to go to the University of South Carolina in Columbia. And one of the biggest reasons was I was awarded a a scholarship that could be used at any in-state college. And it pretty much covered almost, it was, along with that, I think that was like a half scholarship and then a few others I was able to, if I stayed in state, it would be almost free, which is amazing. Sometimes even when I think about it now, but I actually, because of this desire to be a doctor, I really wanted to go to Duke. I even visited it, did a big tour with my parents and my dad, I don't know that he even remembers this moment. It was so profound though. I was so excited and so determined that's where I wanted to be. The campus was beautiful. I thought everything was just so stately and I don't know, some kind of like uh, romantic idea of what college should look like and feel like. And at the very end of the tour, you know, when they talk about finances, he's like, well, you're not <laughs> going here. And I, and I sure he didn't mean it in a discouraging way. And I'm sure it was just an offhand kind of, you know, maybe even a joke on his part, but I kind of crushed me. Cause I thought it kind of embedded this. There's no way you can afford this. And I'm sure there would have, could have been all kinds of ways to, you know, to make it work. But that was such like a, a core thing that I kind of latched onto at, you know, at 16 or 17, whenever, whenever I was doing that tour that I have to be able to pay for this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like I have to find a way that I I didn't, hadn't even considered how I was going to pay for college. And that, you know, $35,000 a year was a big difference from $8,000 a year for whatever it was to go to USC.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And looking back on it now, do you think you lost something or were left out of anything?
1: Absolutely not. Oh my goodness. I had, I mean, especially, I think that sentiment went away so quickly. USC was such an incredible experience for me. And um, USC has a great program within the huge university. It's called the South Carolina Honors College. And it's I think they really strive to create that kind of liberal arts high achieving college where you're kind of in there were all kinds of strange classes that I took, and a lot of encouragement about how you think and how you are as a person versus just ticking off all the you know requirements. And I've met people that, even especially in this whole application process to get to medical school, my undergraduate advisor. Jim Stivert, he showed up for me so much throughout this last year. And he was my advisor in undergrad. And I I hadn't even connected with him for like over 10 years. But I mean, he was in my corner this whole last year to help me do the whole process of getting in to medical school. So yeah, no regrets.
0: (laughs) And obviously, I I need to say this as a University of Florida alum, that the high scholastics South Carolina probably were weren't as good as Florida's, but obviously good enough. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Okay, good. I'm glad you agree. (laughs) Moving on. Okay, so let's talk about that. You've kind of hinted there that there was a gap in between where you are now and and your undergrad uh, years. What happened during your undergrad experience that kind of delayed your path to medicine?
1: Well, there were a few things. I entered college with a lot of goal oriented mindset and they kind of dissolved as soon as I got there and realized I don't know how to be a person yet. (laughs) And I don't know, that's how I thought about it exactly at the time, but looking back, I do. And I, I did a lot of kind of searching around. I changed my major from biology to music in my sophomore year of college and ended up with a degree in music um, with just an incredible list of electives, as in chemistry and genetics. And (laughs) My elective list was full of science classes because I still maintained all the prerequisites for medical school because I wasn't completely sure that I was going to move away from that. That was one thing. I just wanted to use college as more of a real life learning experience. I just wasn't sold on the whole fact of, you know, you have to figure out everything right now and you need to have a profession, you know, day one after graduation. It just, I felt like that was not going to fit my life anymore. Even though I really started out that way, I really had that complete structure in my head. and was going to follow all the rules and all the steps right up to the top. So I followed some of them and created some new ones. The other thing that really, I think, kind of completely turned me away from pursuing medicine right away, and at the time I thought altogether, was this experience. And it's a memory. You know how sometimes memory gets changed and shifted a little bit. But in my mind, I had joined a pre-medical honor organization. It might have been, is it AED, Alpha Epsilon Delta? It might have been that one. It might have been another one. But the conversations that I had with my peers who were, you know, going to be going on the same path at the time in my life where I was, I felt were so shallow and I'm sure I was too. I mean, we was like 19 and 20. So it's, I don't know that we can expect huge wisdom <laughs> at that age anyway. But at the time I was so discouraged from this being my peer group. They were, the conversations were around how much money they were going to make. And there's a lot of elitism is like where your parents went to school and parents are going to pay for this. And it just seemed like a group that I didn't, not only didn't belong in, but really didn't care to spend the next 10 years of my life deeply invested in something with them. And that's where I was at the time, kind of in a very judgmental way. (laughs) And I just decided that I'd been in school long enough and I wanted to not be in school. I had no consideration of going to grad school. I just wanted to be absolutely done. It was kind of, it was hard to push myself even to finish it up because it kind of had lost a lot of meaning for me and I was ready to kind of venture out on a new path. And so that's, those were some experiences that just moved me away from academics. You know, I just wanted to finish after college and, and start something completely new.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately that's a common experience for the new undergrad or the new, Undergrad who's deciding he or she wants to be premed is that there are these pockets of premed students that are highly competitive, highly superficial with what they talk about. Like you said, very shallow conversations. Yeah. Of oh, what what did you get on the MCAT? Oh, oh
1: what yeah. Did you
0: get on the uh, for your GPA or oh you didn't ace that test? Oh that test was so oh, easy. How did you not ace that? <laughs> oh, there's so many of them. It
1: just seems like it. <laughs>
0: And unfortunately, it continues in medical school as well. You get these, these sure. students, you you walk out of a test and all 100 or 200 of you are taking the test at the same time and you all walk out and and the majority of people are like, oh my God, that was so hard. And then there's this pocket of people that go, ha, I finished out in like five minutes. That was the easiest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> and you just oh, want to punch them in I, the I, face.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: but it's unfortunate and that's kind of... It's one of the reasons why I started the podcast and why I started the website was to show that there is this other side of being a pre-med and being a medical student, that you can be collaborative. You don't have to superficially talk about the MCAT just because you're trying to compare yourself to the person that you're asking. Right, uh, because that's usually what they're asking: is, what did <laughs> right. you get on the MCAT? I you hope y- I hope you didn't get better than me, because then, <laughs> oh my God, then my chances go down even more, and uh, I don't <laughs> right, know if right. I can handle that. <laughs> right, uh, uh, yeah, and so it's unfortunate that you had that experience, but unfortunately, you're not the only one, and and I hope the more that people listen to this podcast, the more we hopefully get away from those conversations.
1: Oh, I think it's wonderful to have those kind of experiences because there's, a. I think sometimes that person is also the loudest person and not necessarily representative of the majority of people who want to go into this. And I feel like there's that guy everywhere in life. Maybe there's just, it's just a little heavy because it's a high, you know, a high achieving (laughs) kind of demographic that goes into this. But yeah, especially the website just gave me a place to talk to other people because I don't ha- I don't have any community right when I was starting to think about doing actually doing this now in my life and it, it has provided so many good conversations
0: that are have been just all encouraging. <laughs> in the website, you're talking about the academy specifically.
1: Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On the academy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, and even I was trying to remember how I had that, like the first podcast I had listened to to even find out about that, and it was the one about uh, not. I think, an interview with a non-traditional student. <laughs>
0: okay. Awesome. All right. So you were obviously, at that point, your mind was set. You weren't going to go to grad school. You were kind of done being pre-med. What have you done since graduating up until now?
1: Until now? I moved from South Carolina to the Southwest and started in... um Santa Fe, New Mexico. And originally to kind of start a life with someone, which took a completely different turn, but I started this particular style of yoga called Don Yoga when I was in Santa Fe, pretty much within a month of moving there. And it became so, such an amazing experience for me personally that I, not only I was, I had started taking classes and I was taking like three times a week. But after a few months, I decided that I wanted to learn to teach it. So that became my career for 10 years and ended up teaching, managing a studio, managing a whole region of studios, worked directly with the founder for a couple of years, traveling all over the world. And so that was that holistic health through yoga, meditation, breathing, lifestyle changing. That's been my heart and soul for the last
0: 10 years. Okay. So you're still. In an it's still area, healing. yeah,
1: it's, it's still all about health and yeah. well-being. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's it's interesting that you were still drawn to that, uh, yes. even though it wasn't in the "quote unquote" medical sense of being a physician in that traditional sense, but you were still healing and and showing others how to heal and do good for their bodies.
1: Exactly. That's and I, I think even the reason I am considering kind of going this path. For health and well being is I'd really love to balance those two, not so, you know, very similar in goals as helping people be healthy and have better quality of life, but just very different approaches. And I kind of came to a point where I couldn't, I didn't want to go any further into what I call just the, I guess, softer side of healing and health, because I feel like I can get so far away from tangible <laughs> results. I thought I would really love to kind of go deeply into the kind of scientific way of approaching health and well-being and then see if I can create some kind of blend in the middle there.
0: (laughs) So how long ago was it where you started having these desires to go back into medicine and learn all of that?
1: I think it's probably had a little corner of my mind for even since college. But it really started to become something I was considering seriously. Let's see, I think it's October of 2013, right around there. I had taken a long-term sabbatical from Don Yoga. And it was at a point where I had to decide if I was gonna move back to the Southwest and continue or kind of venture off into a new field. And I started thinking about it just having these thoughts but I didn't really want to tell anybody because if it didn't end up panning out or if I didn't end up going for it I didn't want to I don't know you know raise people's hopes I didn't even talk to my parents about it until I had kind of gotten some initial encouragement that this could actually be something I could do because I I just didn't know anything at that point whether it was even possible whether it was a good idea at my age you know being able to pay off the debt all of those kind of things And um the I contacted, I just emailed the Office of Pre-Professional Advising from my undergrad. And they got back to me within a day. And I was having a conversation with the woman who headed up that office within a couple of days of emailing her. And she was so overwhelmingly encouraging that I was even thinking about this earlier. I was telling my mom about that, uh, because she had asked me some questions when I told her I was going to do the interview. And I don't know that I would have kept pursuing it if I hadn't had such an encouraging response right at the beginning. And she helped me kind of understand the whole process because, of course, the road just to get in is long and there are so many steps Mm -hmm. to (laughs) navigate. Yes, And even understanding the structure of school and residency and just trying to get my, which I certainly don't have my head wrapped around at all. But at least I have a vague picture. (laughs) Mm. I have some picture of them.
0: (laughs) So it was very fortuitous that you emailed your undergraduate pre-health advising office. Yes. Many years after graduating. Yes. Who gave you that idea to email them?
1: I think I actually do. I was looking for my undergraduate advisor, the person who had been so instrumental in my undergrad guiding me then. And I was just looking for his information and I was on the USC's website. And then I think there was a link from the honors college website because I don't even think there was an office of pre-professional advising when I was in school. I think it was, they hadn't formed it yet because I don't remember actually having an office and you know, a whole place to go to where they give you all the steps. I just had my advise one advisor. And there was just a little form email, you know, that sometimes people answer and sometimes they don't. (laughs) And she was just very responsive and helped me link into there. Columbia is about an hour and a half drive from where, from Charleston. But I went up there and kind of participated in some pre-med lectures. They had the admissions directors from the three in-state schools give a talk. I thought she connected me with some great resources that I was able to take advantage of every now and then when I could get up there. But just that connection was such a good start. And then that's when I started to talk to some other people who were, everyone was just so encouraging.
0: So walk us through those steps of, of sure. reaching out, getting this encouragement, but then obviously realizing that you're, what, 10 years roughly post-undergrad? Almost,
1: it's 14. 14 it's, years yeah. post-undergrad.
0: <laughs> uh like you had to have these thoughts, like, are my classes still good? What do I need to exactly. do to prepare for this, this monstrous test of the MCAT? Yes. What thoughts, are, what was that thought process like and what steps did that you go was, through?
1: I think those were the first questions I had for her was, you know, it's been almost 15 years Are are my credits still applicable? I mean, are, will this still reflect well? And, and she talked a little bit about post back programs, but I had done work very, very hard in college, even though I was kind of trying to find myself and, you know, trying a lot of new things. So my grades were there and I felt like, I feel like I have the capacity for it. I felt certain about that. I just wasn't sure if they would still accept those grades as, or if I needed to do more. And she said, If you think you need to, if you think you need more, you know, some science classes just to get your brain back into it, you can do that, but you don't have to. And she just had advised me to call the schools that I was interested in just to make sure if they haven't, some of them, you know, each school has a little bit of a different requirement. MUSC actually has none, they don't require you to take anything. But of course, having those classes was invaluable to taking the MCAT. And then preparing for the test you know she had made some recommendations about some prep programs and i definitely i kind of researched some of them and just decided to take the ones that that would seem to suit me best i ended up taking the kaplan in person where you actually had the on site classes with an actual person because i thought i'm a little more old school i probably need to sit in a classroom which i don't know that i really needed to but it did help for accountability like okay you need to read these things by this time because there's going to be classmates and a teacher and you know, it helped me kind of structure my structure myself back into a school mindset because I hadn't set foot in a classroom for quite a while.
0: And how was taking the MCAT after so being so far removed from undergrad in those classes?
1: So I, my Kaplan test prep, it started in January and it ran and I took the test in May, very beginning of May. And in November and December, I went and bought the Baron's Easy Guide to Chemistry and Biology, just to start reading things again, like terms and cells, and just having more vocabulary, and going, like, oh, I, just to kind of get my brain sparkling again with uh, <laughs> science information. But from January to May, I was devoted to studying for this test. I, that's the only way I can put it because I knew I was kind of starting from almost starting over. I mean, especially I'm so glad that organic chemistry wasn't huge weight of the test because that was so far away from my brain but but I I was working at the hospital full time and then all the other time I was basically studying I mean even even at work too when I was on night shift I would I would take little mini quizzes I just was so devoted that's the only word I can say I really put my pedal to the metal on that and actually it was from one of the podcasts I think One of the students that went to a Caribbean medical school, he just couldn't emphasize enough how seriously you need to take the MCAT because I guess he had to take it a few times and still couldn't quite get where he wanted to be. So I just, I just remember that one piece of advice and I just really knew I had to take it very seriously. And I did.
0: (laughs) Respect the MCAT. Oh,
1: respect. And actually, okay. I know you've made fun of me for this before, but I (laughs) actually enjoyed The whole process. It was hard. (laughs) I know everyone thinks I'm lying because I felt like not only was I studying this content, that was one part of it. I felt like the MCAT was this almost like a person that I had to really understand. And this person is manipulative and tricky and deceitful (laughs) and will try to, you know, throw me off. It was like a really good opponent, I guess. And so I really tried to understand my opponent. And how my opponent thinks and what, what are they trying to do to me right here? And it helped so much to characterize the MCAT as this, um, kind of like an, a good opponent, but like a chess opponent, not like someone I wanted to hurt, but, um, well, maybe a little bit, but.
0: (laughs) And what did you get on the MCAT?
1: I got a 29.
0: Okay. Did you only take it once?
1: I took it once. Yeah.
0: Awesome. That's a good score for being out of school for many years. Yeah. and taking Kaplan. Oh. Did, is Kaplan the only course that you took?
1: No, it wasn't. I actually, so Kaplan, I got a, so much from them. And one of the biggest things I got were the resources, which were completely up to me to use just the database of questions and quizzes. And I'm sure I used not even 50% of what they offered, just because I couldn't use it all. But I felt like my one on one teaching was lacking. It was kind of, it wasn't, it was kind of just like a content review when we were actually in class. That was probably the least helpful of all the elements that I got from Kaplan, other than I met really great people and got some great study buddies. But about three weeks away from the test, I just felt like I wasn't there yet, I wasn't completely prepared. So I, I invested in, I think it's next step test prep, the personal tutor. Mm-hmm. And I did some serious personal tutoring for three weeks. And that really, that, I think that coaching really did put me into a more competitive score, honestly. The person who tutored me was great at helping with, even with some um, just strategies for strategizing the test a little bit more and focusing and some of the content that I just couldn't quite get my mind wrapped around. Some of the physics concepts were really, oh, just about out of my world, just on that edge of like, I kind of don't get this. Yeah. <laughs> and I really need to, like, I really need to get this. And I need to talk to someone who will take me through it, even in the most basic way possible. Like he was always trying to reword it in just a little simpler way. And that helps so much. I just needed to hear it in different ways. And it was definitely an investment. And I'm I'm glad I did it. But it I kind of wish I'd done that a little bit sooner rather than those just the last three weeks before the test.
0: Okay. Yeah. And next up is somebody who we've had on the show many times, including last week, uh, we had Brian on talking about oh, more awesome. MCAT 2015 stuff. So Oh, um, gosh, so I, I, I love next step. I think for one-on-one tutoring, they're awesome. So if you're listening yeah. to this and you need a little extra help, go talk to them and tell them you heard about them from the, the podcast. Cause they'll give you a little deal. Yes. All right. So you do well in the MCAT. You are getting yourself ready. What was it like to again, be so far removed from undergrad and preparing for applications to medical school, because that's probably, everybody's worried about GPA and MCAT, but in my mind, the, uh, the app, the whole yeah. application process is the most daunting part of it all.
1: That is the exact word. It was so daunting. It's just, it was overwhelming. I mean, just opening that first day when you could open it and actually see what it's, I was like, I just couldn't believe how much information is going into this and how much each piece of it has to be considered and edited and thought through. And I had such great support getting through this application. I had great support through the academy, and I really give so much credit to my undergraduate advisor. He just showed up. I mean, I just can't even say enough. He is a just incredibly intelligent person and, and kind and caring, and he's pretty much retired, but he just kind of went to bat for me. My personal statement, I don't think would have gotten completed without his help. He went through two major editions with me and he also helped me stay accountable. I had to have a draft by a certain time for him to be able to go through it. And I went through a couple drafts with him and just every time we went through it, I was spending like, you know, an hour or more on the phone, just trying to word it, and put together this story. I think that was something I got from the academy—that advice—and from him too. Like, let's shape this into a whole package that is just has a whole story arc. I can't tell every single detail of my life, but I can give them this. Like, I'm making this shape with my hand of a circle, like you <laughs> can, see <it. laughs> I can see it. Yeah. Um, but that I'm setting this whole package in front of them to really give them a feeling, not just about all the the metrics that I can offer. But who is this person behind all this data? And together with the statement, the personal experiences, I mean, every little piece of it, I really tried to focus on a central theme. And that was very, very, very hard to do by myself. In fact, I don't even know that it's possible to do by oneself. I think it's really something that I needed someone outside of me to look at the information I'm giving them and go, oh. Well, cause you're kind of like this, this is kind of like a cornerstone of who you are and to have that outside perspective and to have it also resonate a lot with me going, Oh, that, that is, I could kind of stand up and it's shifted from feeling like I'm having to sell myself and like bragging about myself, but that, no, this is actually just who I am. And this is what I'm going to share. I just have to find the right words and shapes and information to add up to what I already know I am. It's just getting presenting it in a way that will let other people really get a sense of that as much as you can through a computerized application system. (laughs) Yeah,
0: And I think that's huge. The fact, obviously he is a pre-health advisor, but the way that you used him was more, it sounds like maybe not more of, but you used him as an accountability partner And and that can be anybody in your life right that can be a parent it could be a sibling it could be a friend set those deadlines like he did for you and say okay on on this date you're going to have this done for me and i'm going to check in with you and if you're not done with it then there's going to be consequences whatever those consequences
1: are. <laughs> yeah yeah just especially disappointing someone who's just been so exactly. that i respect um, and cherish a lot too exactly
0: so you're a non-traditional student you've Taken a lot of time off from undergrad. You take the MCAT, you do well on it, you are working on your applications. What was it like to get those interview requests and be interviewed by admissions committees and tell that story of being a non traditional student? Did you feel like you were trying to convince them that you were ready for this or you really wanted to go back and do this?
1: No, in fact, Getting the interview request, I mean, it's just the most giddy feeling. It's like, oh, thank you. Sweet <laughs> Jesus. Like, somebody does was,
0: was this for me or did this go to the wrong email address? <laughs> Wait,
1: no, are you kidding? And I have to, so I have to tell on myself a little bit because I really, getting the whole primary out was such an overwhelming task that I lost a lot of steam between getting that done and then when secondaries came in because it was like, now, I just did this one monstrous thing and now I'm going to have to do 10 more monstrous things. Yeah. I just, I lost all steam. I remember and in all, yeah, <laughs> I remember cause I was like, Oh, I got to confess cause <laughs> Oh, I got to squeeze these out. Like I have to, because basically at that point now I have lost my accountability person. Like I didn't have, oh. so in all honesty, I only completed three secondaries and I completed three for my in-city schools, even though I had applied to about six or seven other, out of state schools. I just decided I'm like okay, I absolutely have to get these done.
0: And that's um, that's not yeah. uncommon, unfortunately. Gosh, I was yeah. the same way. It's exactly as you you described. You lose that motivation, you lose the steam, you lose the drive because it's as I said earlier, it's daunting. The amount of effort, the amount of energy that you're putting into these primary applications only to turn around a couple weeks later and start with the secondary applications. It's incredible. <sighs> and you are not alone by <laughs> shoving some of those secondaries to the aside and saying, "You know what? I don't care." <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and it it also made me more okay. I had to kind of triage like, "All right, where will you actually go?" if you do these secondaries and they give you an interview, would you actually go to Wisconsin? And I, and I thought, you know, actually, no.
0: <laughs> Which is what you should have been doing in the first place exactly. with the primaries. Well I, put it
1: down from, well, I know someone had told me the average number to p- apply primarily was like 20. And I thought, I wouldn't go to, what? I couldn't find 20 places that I wanted to go to personally. <laughs> so I thought my nine or 10 was like a really scaled down version. So it just kept getting <laughs> scaled down even more.
0: And did you apply D-O-M-D?
1: I only applied M-D. I really did think about the D-O path and my reasons for it were this. It actually sounds a little bit more like the kind of medicine I want to practice. Or I don't, and I don't know that, I don't know all the details about the differences, but the feeling I got was that it was just a little bit more of a looking at the whole person and a kind of holistic health which i'm very attracted to. And my reason for not going that way is that's what i've been doing deeply for the last 10 years. I kind of thought, you know, i'm attracted to this, but i want to be in this, you know, not not that there's as many differences as i'm maybe making it sound. But i decided i really did want to kind of go into that md world where it might still be where i might be in a minority in that kind of approach, which i actually don't think is true. I feel like the whole landscape of of healthcare is changing to be more patient centered and consider the whole person type of approach. But, and especially in South Carolina, I really wanted to stay here and kind of make a difference here where it's not as progressive. Although in the last couple of weeks, I've been just so proud of my state and my city of how they're showing up as human beings. (laughs) But yeah,
0: All right. So back, back to my original question. If like, I ever, <laughs> just, What was it like as a non traditional student interviewing? What were those uh, discussions like? Were they, uh, you were, I'm assuming, one of the older ones in the room when you were oldest, there?
1: Oldest. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oldest by 15 years. <laughs> I mean, oldest by 15 years. It was so adorable, actually. <laughs> and I, I don't mean to be condescending because they were just such bright. You didn't
0: beautiful. pinch any cheeks, did you?
1: Oh, I I I held back. (laughs) I really did restrain myself. I kind of did because also I kind of I felt for them too to be in a situation where this is just the sense I got. You know, this is kind of the first huge, huge thing of you know, kind of feels like my whole life is riding on it. I didn't feel like that. I felt so privileged to just be there, honestly, that I was ready to enjoy myself and to feel like I'm going to get to know someone and you know, I'm not going to be anyone else. Cause I don't know how anymore. <laughs> I used to know how to pretend to be someone else, but I felt like I just want to be myself and talk to these people and share about who I am. And I, I did prepare. I, um, one of my friends is she either works in admissions or works with uh, Ross medical school, which I think is in one of the Caribbean islands. And she put me in touch with two of her, the other admissions. And I did a a mock phone interview with them which was great. Just some of the questions they asked and suggestions they had as far as approaching the interview. So I felt really prepared and ready for it. I just, of course, was excited, but I actually felt like on that day, I had the advantage. If I felt disadvantaged before, which I didn't really, I just, you know, just in a different place, but I felt like the interviewers are kind of closer to my age, honestly. (laughs) you know, I'm not looking at them as like someone who might be in my parents category. They're, you know, they're a little bit more, I don't know, just closer in life experience. And I have some empathy and understanding for things that I certainly didn't when I was 19 and 20 of other people and considerations of how they feel, think and communicate. So although I was excited, you know, kind of that anticipation, I, it was, Truly, those of the, the interviews were truly joyful days. I just enjoyed them so much.
0: Good. All right. And obviously, it worked out. You got an acceptance to medical school. Where are you going to be starting school?
1: Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston.
0: Awesome. Well, congratulations. Yay. <laughs> so, in the time from when you were teaching yoga and running the business and doing all of that stuff, from where you are now, was it all smooth sailing or were there some hiccups along the way?
1: You mean in my life in the last
0: several years or and from when you decided you wanted to go back to medical school?
1: Oh. Well, the I mean, that time for the secondaries, that actually was I was starting to like doubt whether I had the steam to even kind of get it done. So that that was a little dark time there. <laughs> Pretty dark actually. Had a lot of doubts and fears and a lot of things happening at the same time that were kind of tragic and difficult, but it did help me solidify. And I remember one of the things you, I think you had said in a comment too, was there's going to be lots of times like this, that, you know, the doubt set in and lots of things, tragic, difficult things can be happening all at once and still kind of finding that iron inside of me and just kind of pushing through it. And Really giving myself a chance to say, you don't have to do this. I tell myself that often, like, just, are you sure? Are you sure? And I am. There's, I just have no, there's no doubt about doing it. I have doubts about how I'll go through it, but the, there's just, I found that kind of iron inside of me to kind of get through difficult times.
0: What advice would you have for the non-traditional student out there that's in that same place that you were? however many years ago it was when you decided to start this journey again? Hmm.
1: I think my advice would be to get help to step back from your life and look at it as you're trying to share it in this very finite form of an application is to really step back and look at every single thing you have. I think I had a tendency not to really see all of my assets And also my weaknesses too, kind of where I needed to, how to focus in on the best of me and to acknowledge and accept the other things too, but that's part of the package. But how to present all of that in a way that the admissions director could see that, that they could really see what you're all about and that you actually have so much more than you probably think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. And going back to your undergrad years. What would you, if anything, what would you have done differently so that there wasn't this 15 year gap? Oh,
1: man, I really, you know, I don't think I would do anything differently because I, I guess if someone wanted to be, you know, go to medical school sooner, I just feel like everything has been perfect to get me to this point. Didn't feel perfect at the time, but I'm really proud of the choices I made at the time kind of with integrity and, and kind of listening to myself and following what I felt like was the best thing for me at the time versus what was expected of me. Because I, I think the worst thing I could have done for myself was to push myself into something like medical school when I wasn't really ready to do it. And after 15 years, I'm ready to do it. Very, very ready.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. What does the future hold for you? What are you interested in becoming, practicing?
1: I think my tendency to answer that question has usually been to primary care or family medicine, mostly because I do enjoy kind of the everyday (laughs) problems that so many of us face. And I, I, I don't feel bothered by them. I don't feel bothered by people when they keep showing up with the same problems. And I get that that's kind of a, When you're working with people over a long period of time, they're going to see a lot of the trends over and over and it's difficult to change lifestyle habits. And that those aspects of interacting with people, I actually enjoy because I feel like I can very much relate. But I'm also very open to falling in love with something during school that I never even considered. And so I have a feeling that I would kind of like to be a kind of honestly like rural small town doc. just because that's a little bit more of my speed. I don't necessarily feel the need to be the most, you know, the best paid or the most respected or any of those things. I I get a lot of joy from working with just everyday people. And the hospital working on the trauma floor really did let me see a lot of people's lives that I've never really come into contact with in, in some really tragic circumstances. But I feel like I can connect with, their humanity, no matter where someone's coming from. and i I know that would probably happen in a lot of different ways, but I have a feeling that's kind of where I'm headed
0: all right. Then last question for any pre-med out there that's doubting their journey, what do you have to say to them to give them encouragement to push through?
1: I think the biggest thing would be to take the steps to get there because you you want to know about yourself. You want to know about things like, instead of going, okay, I should, I should get a job in healthcare, or I should shadow this doctor, or I should, I need this kind of experience to show that I'm interested, really following interests, like following things you're actually interested in versus things you feel like you have to do in order to get in. Because I think that kind of will excuse the process of exploration and understanding yourself. And, and if it's really where you want to head,
0: all right, that was Melissa again. And I hope you were able to pull some nuggets out of everything we talked about. Hopefully, or not hopefully, maybe you are. Maybe you're in similar situations, similar struggles that Melissa had. And as you obviously can tell, Melissa was able to pull it all together at the end. Again, as a non traditional student, it's easy to tell a story because you've lived outside of school. And Melissa was able to tell her story about what she went through and everything that brought her into the medical school application process. And now as a medical student or a future medical student matriculating here in 2015. So congratulations, Melissa, on that acceptance. If you liked today's podcast and you haven't yet, go to medicalschoolhq.net and leave us a five-star rating and review. We would greatly appreciate anything you can rate us at and leave a review for us. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. We had two new ratings come in this week. One from CW Daily or Dolly, uh, who says What a great resource for anyone contemplating this journey. Thank you for that review. And we also had one from HHCFGV. Looks like you just banged your hands down on the keyboard for that username. But uh, they said, best information you can get. So thank you again for that review. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. It truly takes a minute to do. And we greatly appreciate it because the more you do that, the more we get exposed in iTunes to other listeners. And I was looking the other day in the education category, which I'm a subcategory of. It's not even my primary our primary category. But in education, we were number 37 in all of iTunes, beating out huge companies that have amazing podcasts. And that's all because of of you taking the time to leave us a rating interview. So thank you for that. All right. I hope you got a ton of great information out of today's podcast. And as always, I hope you join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.